This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Andy Hamicky talks about his pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago. Why do people make this pilgrimage? What do they get out of it? Well, let's find out. Father Andy is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Donetta Robin. Yeah. Okay, so tell us, who did you take? And So, yeah, we took... Uh, and why? I mean, how did this all come about? Kind of, I guess it started because, so we're lucky to have at Fort Hayes, at the campus center, we have focus missionaries mm-hmm. there. So we have four focus missionaries that's been there now. I think we're in our fourth year with them. And uh, so... They uh, generally every year uh, on different campuses across the country, they lead pilgrimages or uh, mission trips um, for students. And so we knew we wanted to do something with a group over spring break. And so we were just kind of coming up with all kinds of different ideas. And, and a lot of us had heard of the Camino. We had a girl named Maria that was at Fort Hayes last year who was, who was a faithful Catholic girl from Spain. And, oh. uh, and so she had shared with us last spring one time about this Camino de Santiago and, and uh this pilgrimage over in Spain. And so a lot of our students had heard about it. Anyway, we ended up deciding on doing that and we took uh, 15 of us total over there. So it was myself, um, nine students, our four focus missionaries, and Macy Becker, who's our development director. And she's the one that kind of like headed up all the logistics of the whole thing and you know planned it all out and, and uh, did a great job with that because we had as most people, anybody who's flown overseas and stuff, there's always hiccups, you know, and so we had oh, plenty yeah. of those, and, and uh, so she did a great job navigating all those, those difficulties, but anyway, so we decided to do it, um, and kind of what it is, like, what is the Santiago, Camino yeah. de Santiago? Camino just means the way, the way of Santiago, St. James. Right. The way of St. James, and, and so kind of the story here is, is uh, you interrupt me whatever you want to. Don't no, no, it. no. But, but, uh, Tell us the story because a lot of people don't know. Okay. So. so going all the way back, you know, and we're getting close to liturgically that, that time now where we celebrate Jesus' uh, ascension, you know, here before too long. Well, before he ascends into heaven, he sends, he gives the Great Commission, sends his apostles to go out and baptize, preach to all nations. And so we know at least some of the apostles, We the, the tradition is Thomas, for example, he takes the faith all the way down to India. To this day, southern India is still very Christian, and we, we know where, where Peter ends up. He ends up getting, um, you know, crucified in Rome. So um, Paul, for example, he, you know, he has all these different communities, ends up as well dying in Rome. So you can still, to this day, you can go see where uh, Peter and Paul, where the remains are. Um, and then, so St. James, the tradition is St. James, the brother of, of St. John, the beloved disciple, mm-hmm. sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Mm-hmm. So St. James the Greater. He takes the faith uh, to Spain, and so he gets on a, who knows, I don't, I don't know if he went you know, across the northern part of, of Europe or if he went over the Mediterranean Sea, but he gets to Spain, which at the time was the end of the known world. Nobody knew there was anything west of the Atlantic Ocean at that mm-hmm. point. So he takes the faith as far as he can, and tr- tradition is he was fairly unsuccessful. You know, like one of the numbers that gets thrown out there as far as the tradition is that only eight people um, convert. He gets over there, starts talking about this Jesus and only eight people are like, okay, we believe that. Everybody else, not so much on board. For whatever reason, he ends up being called back to Jerusalem, goes back to Jerusalem for a little while when he's there. King Herod is still around and kills him. Um, he's beheaded. And then at that point, um, some of his disciples had come back, and they, they, they rescue his body, and they send it back to Spain. And, and again, there's, these are old stories, a lot of traditions here. And, and, but uh, one of the stories is that as the body went back to Spain, the body of St. James the Apostle, 
it was kind of like shipwrecked on, on, on the coast of Spain. And, um, and for a while, they couldn't find his body. And when they did, eventually they found this coffin covered in seashells. And, and so when they open it up, they realize what it is, that it's the body of the apostle St. James. They take it out to the end of the, the known world. They take it out into northwestern Spain and put it out in this, this field. Mm. And time goes on and all kinds of different history in Spain. Uh, people almost kind of forget that it's there, you know. And, and so it's not until the 800s that there's a monk who's, who's in the area who uh, is kind of walking around in this field. And again, the story, kind of the tr- tradition is he sees these, these stars kind of miraculously dancing in the field. Uh-huh. And he walks over to go check that out. And uh, underneath those stars is this coffin and, and somehow finds out, okay, in that coffin is the body of St. James the Apostle. So as wow. a faithful monk, he's pretty excited about it. Word spreads. Word eventually gets down to the king of Spain, who's in, in southern Spain, and um, he makes the first ever way of St. James. He, 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 the, the king of Spain, who's a faithful Catholic king, walks from where he's at up to go reverence the remains of St. James in the 800s. Mm. And from that point forward, that was the first ever Camino. You know, from that point forward, word spreads, and, and um, they build a church over it, and grows into a little city. And that city now is called Santiago de Compostela. Oh. Santiago means St. James, day of uh, Compostela. Compa is field in Spanish. Uh, Stella is stars, field of oh. stars. Pilgrims, pilgrims now, when they walk, they, their, their symbol of their pilgrimage, they, they wear a seashell when they walk this. And that goes back to his body being covered in seashells. And uh-huh. so those are some of the symbols um, and some, some of the history behind it. And then through the Middle Ages, especially in the Middle Ages, uh, pilgrimage became a big deal. People wanted to go to these holy sites. And, and, um, and so the three biggest ones would, would have been, okay, let's go to <coughs> Jerusalem and see where Jesus walked, where he, where he did his ministry, where he lived. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty dangerous to get over there. You can go to Rome and see Peter or Paul, um, or you can go to, go to Spain and see James. So it became one of the most common pilgrimages throughout all of Europe in, in the Middle Ages. And... Uh, so there developed like this really common route called the French Way, where people would come down from France, go over the Pyrenees Mountains there where Lourdes is, and, mm-hmm. and to this day, that's like the most common route people walk. If you were to walk the whole thing, it would take about a month or so. Um, we only had spring break to do it, so we, we, we picked up at the tail end of that trip uh, and walked for, for four How days. How long is it? The whole, from where we walked, I know it was about 80 miles, so What's 81 miles. What's the whole miles. thing? The whole thing, I don't know how far it would be from like the, the beginning of the one in, in the French way, from uh-huh. France all the way there. I don't know how many miles. I just know it takes approximately a month to walk for people. Yeah. And I remember seeing a movie about it. The way. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. And um, so what did you all have to do to train to walk 80 miles? That's a, that's a lot. It's pretty that's far, yeah. 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 So, so I mean... <coughs> And the train there is so different than it is here in Hayes. You know, it's very, it's pretty mountainous and pretty hilly. And, and, uh, and so, but we're here in Hayes. And so we had to just walk on this flat ground. We were all to varying different degrees, you know, training before we went. And uh, so our focus missionaries did a great job of like actually, you know, wearing their backpacks almost every day for a while um, with, a, with a, the kind of weight that they're going to be carrying, practicing. So really training just looked like walking around Hayes and in circles, you know, trying to, trying to get ourselves ready for it. And um, So what's the furthest you walked here before you went over there? Do you know? I walked one time just for like two hours. So okay. I, my training was very terrible. Like I did not, 
I did not uh, give it near as much time as I should have. Um, and that would have been, we had some students who were like me, we had some students who took it real serious, and so we were all over the map as far as students being in shape, as far as students training, all that. And so it was kind of fun. We all enter into this at different levels. Different levels, yeah. And really in the end, I mean, we all got through it pretty good. One, one huge part of it is you got to know, pay attention to as you're walking, like on your feet, where uh, hot, they call them hot spots, you know, like where blisters might start to develop. Because mm-hmm. that's the one thing that could ruin this trip big time is if you, if you just get a ton of blisters on your feet day one and you got to keep walking on those the whole time. That makes it pretty tough. So, so what do you do? I learned from luckily I, I had some <laughs> priest friends who had done it before, and so Father Rockers had done it, and, and uh, well, his mom uh, Barb Rockers brought me some duct tape actually one day and said, oh, really? you're, "You're gonna need this." So this is not the, not necessarily the, uh, I don't know, the most <laughs> the most common way to approach it, but I, I took her advice. Wherever you have like a hot spot on your foot, uh, we you know like this is where I'm probably gonna get a blister. You just preemptively put some duct tape on it, and I know I, at the very end I got one tiny blister on our, on our last day. But that really? duct tape, duct tape does it. There's all these jokes about all the miraculous stuff duct tape can do. That's add that to the list, right? It can, it can <laughs> keep your feet from getting blisters, and so it was pretty successful. Yeah. Uh, so it was exhausting walking, but it wasn't it wasn't overly difficult. I can okay. tell you if you want here, Don at a quick. Yes, maybe because this helped. Uh, it made the getting there uh, finally on the last day that much more enjoyable okay we had a heck of a time just getting there you know so so we on it was on thursday march 9th that, okay. that we left to go over there and uh so we, we drive to denver to, to fly to the airport and we we're gonna stay in denver that night fly out the next afternoon we got 15 people flying and uh that next afternoon all of a sudden we're, we're about two hours away from getting on our plane and we just get notified technical problem Flight's canceled. Oh, no. Sorry. And so, oh, man. Now we got 15 people trying to figure out an international flight, and, and these things are, you know, generally pretty full. And so it ended up not being, it just turned into a, a quick mess. So I'll share. We ended up having to stay in Denver that night. The next day, our flight to Newark, New Jersey, wasn't until like 9 at night or something like that. So we had to spend a whole day in Denver. Um, the only cool thing about that was, was uh, we had the opportunity to, we went and stayed in this hotel, and um, then the airport put us up in a hotel. And then we ended up going to Mass at this little church nearby there, um, mm-hmm. this, this upstart church in a part of Denver that's, that's you know, expanding. The priest that was at that church happened to be the first ever priest to lead a focus group on the Camino de Santiago. Oh, wow. So here we are, all of us doing it for the first time ever. Yeah. And, and here's this guy giving us all this advice. And that was pretty providential, really cool to meet him. Wow. His name's Father Jason. I think. Um, and then, so we get to the airport. The only other cool part about it is we have all these, uh, the airport's somewhat guilty. I mean, at, at least uh, it was United Airlines. And so we have these meal vouchers. Mm-hmm. So I will never again the rest of my life eat as good as we did at the airport. But, but uh, <laughs> we're having, we had to use all the vouchers. And so one night, me and the three guys that were with us went and got some steaks in the airport. And that was, that was kind of fun. And we flew to Newark. Ended up not getting to our hotel that, that following morning till like 7.35 a.m. Mm. So that was crazy. Just nobody slept. And that night, finally, long story short, our, our route got changed from, from uh, supposed to go to, to, to uh, Madrid, from Newark, New Jersey to Madrid. That all got messed up, so we had to go to Frankfurt, Germany. Oh, my so we goodness. So we to Germany. It was just one thing after another after another. And, and, uh, but the crew was keeping a good morale, and Macy was doing a great job trying to just navigate all the, the changes and... and uh, 
So we ended up in Frankfurt. The cool thing about that was we, we uh, I learned this, this is true. They, they told us before we left that Americans have a stereotype for being very loud overseas. You know, oh, like, really? Which I, I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Well, we get to Germany and it's a massive airport and there's just as many people there as there was in Newark, New Jersey and Denver. But the, the volume of noise is like completely different. And, and so there's all these people standing around talking with their kind of hushed voices. The only thing you could hear in the whole airport was bags like rolling across mm-hmm. and our group. Like our group was like unbelievably loud compared to everybody else there. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, so we wake up the next morning, got to have a good German breakfast at the, at the uh, hotel. And then finally got on a flight and got to Madrid, took a bus to, uh, and a train to Saria, which is kind of the, ta- the town we'd planned on starting from. And from there on, then we actually got to, everything was pretty smooth, we got to walk the community. So you would be almost two days behind. Exactly, yep. So we had to, um, all of us had to look at our schedules and, and basically push things back um, two full days. And mm. we had one student who had a funeral coming up later in that week um, he was able to talk to his parents, and, and everything was fine, and, and uh, we made it back. So we were, I think we were planning on getting back on, on a Sunday night. Um, I was going to make it back for Sunday, 6 p.m. Mass. We ended up not getting back to Denver uh, until Tuesday night, and then we had to drive back Wednesday morning. Mm. So, But it worked out. Yeah, so you were yeah. making phone calls. <laughs> All kinds <laughs> bell, of phone bell calls. Bail me out. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep, I got some help, definitely. So... Um, you would have probably met some interesting people. I'd like to hear about that. Mm-hmm. And what's the scenery like, too? I'm Way more, for whatever reason, I, I think maybe because of that movie, you're, you know, The Way, mm-hmm. um, with Martin Sheen. It's a good movie. Right. People should right. check that out. It's good. Um, I think a lot of the scenes in that movie, it's beautiful, but you see them walking through a lot of wheat fields. I, I know there's parts of Spain where you have this, this expanse of, of wheat fields, which looks similar to Kansas. That's what I had in my head, and that's not what we saw. We had a real small little, you know, we, like I said, we walked the final couple of days of the, of the Camino, but what we saw was mountains and rivers and, and really old farms. It was kind of like, mm-hmm. like a flashback in time as far as like looking at the farms. The equipment was, was small and a little bit older. They had these huge dogs as you're walking through all these farm towns and these, by these farms, like a lot of mastiffs. If people know what mastiffs are, these huge, like, you know, four foot tall dogs. Oh. Um, they're big old dogs. And, um, but it was kind of like going back in, in time. Like a lot of the small towns we're walking through were still very much alive. And, and, and um, so beautiful farm. We had a couple of farm kids with us and they weren't even able to tell what the crops were. You know, I was, I was asking them, I was oh, kind of yeah. challenging their farm, farm knowledge. But, um, but it was just interesting to see uh, how small the equipment and stuff was over there. And, uh, but very mountainous and, and really beautiful. Huh. And uh, yeah, as, as you're walking as well, everything that you, since you're walking the thing, everything that you have with you on a trip is on your back. Uh, uh-huh. And so you carry some snacks and stuff like this, but we had to stop and eat kind of just where we, you know, around noon or so every day at some little town, at some cafe. Uh-huh. And that was really cool too, you know, just to stop in some random little town and, and uh, kind of at the mercy of what they have on their menu. And uh-huh. it was always good so so way better food than i expected the whole time and and um oh. one of the most common things uh on a lot of the menus was octopus actually they call it like pulpo oh yeah octopus. and it, i thought it was great you could have it a couple different ways you could have it grilled where you're like eating the tentacles uh-huh. grilled and i know i was too too much of a chicken to try that but 
but they had it like cut up in these little circles that was really good and, and uh, so all kinds of stories with food you know we had, we had one guy prawns prawns are like gigantic shrimp basically mm. and just like shrimp you're supposed to peel peel the you know the shells off and all that for whatever reason I don't know if one of the guys on our trip I don't know if he was so excited to start eating or what but uh he just bit right into the head of one of these prawns without oh, no. peeling it and got got pretty sick oh, really quick. No. And um, <laughs> anyways, food was great and cheaper over there as we went. And yeah, we did. We, we ran into there's a couple guys from Ireland that were walking that we met at one point, and then we saw them multiple different times as we were going. Um, they were doing actually a documentary on it, so they uh, interviewed me one morning at a cafe um, for this documentary they were doing, and I was very tired, so. Probably the most boring interview of all time. I had no idea like how to respond to their questions. Like, <laughs> so I'm a little bit nervous to see that if they ever put it up on YouTube. But, but we met them. We met a, a couple. I think they're from Singapore, and they had walked the entire thing. They they had started like way from the beginning, mm. and uh, they're just they're a married couple just enjoying themselves. Um, and Wheaton, one of the girls with us, met this uh, girl from another girl from England, and ended up hitting it off with her. And then it was really cool when we finally got to Santiago. She ran into her again later, and they're all excited to see each other and, and caught yeah. up on on uh, on the trip and stuff. So, it yeah, ran into a lot of people like you see in that movie, The Way. You know, yeah, that, that's part that's, of the, part of the journey. It's yeah. Really cool. and, so, uh, how many days did so we, you walk? We ended up just walking four days. Four days. Yeah. Yeah. So usually, you know, we get up in the morning. You have well, you stay in these things called albergas, which is like a hostel um, that you've heard of over in Europe, but an alberga is like a hotel, except you're staying in a room with a bunch of people, you know? So uh-huh. it's, it's um, um, you don't have the comforts you normally have. Like when we stayed in Madrid, they had like actual hotels there. As you got into these smaller towns, you gotta share a room. So it was mm-hmm. split up guys and girls. You'd have a, a guy alberga and a girl alberga. And um, there was really only one time where there was a couple other guys in our room. And one of those times when we stayed, there happened to be a guy in that room there from the University of Kansas. Which was crazy. Oh, wow. this, this guy who yeah. uh, he was walking up on his own, and so we that was kind of a small world there. But um, so you'd stay in these albergas, like military barracks, bunch uh-huh. of bunk beds, like you see in the movie The Way. Too like if you wake up in the middle of the night, that's it's a bad deal because you're gonna hear all kinds of like it's a chorus of snoring going on, uh-huh. and it's hard oh, to fall my. back asleep. And, yeah. Um, so how about showers and stuff? You know, I'm yep. thinking of all this stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so you have a. Just one big bathroom. They'd have plenty of showers, but you did have to wait a little bit longer than you normally would, probably in a hotel. And uh-huh. so you'd have to kind of, if you wanted to shower on time, you had to get up pretty early. And cause there's 30 other people in the room you got to try to compete with. But yeah. um, but there'd be about 10 showers or so in, in these places. And um, so you wake up. We, we'd usually start walking around uh, 9:30 or 10 every morning. Mm-hmm. And um, our crew, I would say, in general. We probably, because we were in, in various different levels of shape, we walked maybe slower than you normally would if you went with just like with two people or something. So mm-hmm. I think the ideal for people is to get up and walk around whatever, nine in the morning, eight, and you get to your next town you're staying in by early afternoon, by two or three or something. Okay. You have time to rest, take in the town, get something to eat, yeah. pray. Um, but uh, for us, for the most part, we were walking from 9.30 or 10 in the morning until about seven at night uh, or eight oh, at wow. night. And, and so we'd, we'd get to the next town and um, a lot of the churches are actually closed um, right now. I, I think 
the Camino gets more popular as you get into the summer season. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, so we ended up having to say mass actually oftentimes in our alberga, like uh-huh. in, in just a big room. So we'd get there, we'd say mass, and then we'd have supper and go to bed and get up and do it, do it again the next yeah. day. What are some of the things you did as you were walking? That was really, that's one of the coolest things about it is, is you know, you take off walking. Of course, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So you're immediately just taking in the scenery and seeing all these old, old buildings as you're walking through these towns. But we, we every day when we first started walking, we'd spend the first hour in silence, just kind of doing a holy hour as we're okay. walking, just praying. So and you get to pray on your own. Some people pray in rosaries. Some just taking in the sides and talking to the Lord. And that was a great way to start it every day. And then um, we had, like I said, 15 people with us. And you have full days of walking. So I think pretty much everybody on our group had an opportunity over the course of four days of walking to kind of just just shift around and, and, and get to know each other really well. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're walking, just, just sharing stories about each other's lives and laughing. And our group, was it was really cool because very few people on our group um, were really close to each other before we went. It was, it was a pretty good mix of students from different walks of life who mm-hmm. were just all involved with the campus center. And so we all got to know each other's stories pretty well. And, mm-hmm. and um, so a lot of just talking and catching up and and, um, and uh, learning each other's stories. Yeah. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. Pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago with Father Andy Hemmicke will be right back. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago. Father Andy Hamicky. Donetta Robin conducts the interview. So, when you get to the gravesite, what's that, what do you... I mean, yeah. did you get to celebrate Mass there or what? That was cool, yeah. So, yeah, you go through all these all these towns. E- each day um, had its own unique um, things about it. But, yeah, we've, you finally arrive in Santiago, mm-hmm. which is amazing because you um, – it's kind of down in a valley, and the road you walk in on is, is up on this little mountain. Mm-hmm. So you get to see this destination you've been heading towards for all this time kind of all at once from up above. And the church is unbelievable. So you could see the church from up above, and, and uh, that kind of gives you some energy. Like, okay, let, let's finish strong. You walk into the town, and then, yeah, the church, um, it's unbelievable. People should look it up online, just Camino de Santiago, or just Santiago Cathedral. Um, really amazing facade on the outside and architecture. And So you walk in, and the first thing that hits you is like the uh, all around the, the altar. It's just shiny gold, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 then, and then the main altar itself is, is pure silver. And, wow. and it's just like everything's just glimmering and, and uh, how much of it's real gold and stuff, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, it, it shines. And uh, so that's all beautiful. Beneath that, there's a, a little staircase that takes you down directly below the altar. And that's where the body of St. James is to this day. It's in, a, mm-hmm. it's in a coffin, so you can't see his bones. Right. And it's behind like these little, uh, there's a little archway and some bars that come down that you get to look through. Um, but you can get, you know, within maybe like 15 feet of it, you know. And, and yeah. So there you are in, in the presence of, 
of the body of St. James the Apostle. Wow. And, and um, yeah, it's extremely special. Um, so Do you ring the bell? Like in the movie? I We didn't see that. <laughs> I didn't. I'm sure some of our students did. I messed that up. Yeah, okay. I, didn't, I didn't ring the bell. There's a few of those, like, little traditions that I think I missed out on. Uh-huh. But yeah, there is something about being down there um, when you when you know you, in your mind like you're in the presence of the apostle, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of leads you to some deep prayer. And um, myself as a priest standing there, just this, this, you know, asking for his help. He, he's one of the first ones to go out and spread the faith. He had his own struggles. Like I said, he only had converted eight people, but he also mm-hmm. got to walk with Christ and knew him well. So, so many different things you can ask his help for. You know, help me in times right. when it's when it's tough. Help me when I got to face persecution. Help me to to everything you know about the Lord that you got to walk with Him and learn about Him. Help me to be able to share that too. And those are powerful things to just ask His intercession for. One of the coolest things about me on the, for the entire trip was this wasn't a trip I just did like with a couple friends. You know, mm-hmm. I was there as chaplain of all these students who I, I, I care a ton about, and and um, so I, that was a really cool moment. I'm standing down there like praying with St. James. And then uh, it's a small little spot down there. So I'm kind of backed up against the wall. And then it, every so often, one of our students would come down and, and, and just be praying there as well. And so I'm kind of just standing back watching our students pray to this apostle. And um, that was powerful for me in that moment with the entire trip um, to be kind of get to be you know, their shepherd on, on this trip mm-hmm. and like praying for them as, as they're experiencing all these really cool spiritual uh, moments and, and um that was a unique perspective for me that I've never had before, like going on pilgrimage uh, with people who I, who I uh, minister to. You know, yeah, really, really I'm just cool. thinking you're really a father. <laughs> a you father to yeah. those, it, it, those yeah. kids, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and you, yeah. It's weird. Only being in the way, I'm 33, that spiritual fatherhood side of priesthood doesn't always I always wonder if it hits you more like the older you get as a priest, but in the ministry I get to do, mm-hmm. uh, at least I'm, I'm older than, or near old enough to be their actual dad, but like mm-hmm. I, I very much in the, on this trip felt like a spiritual father and, and loved it. And all of us together are struggling in, uh, yeah, people are sores, they're walking. We had a hilarious, there's a one hilarious moment where our hardest day of walking, we walked from like nine in the morning or so to like nine at night. It was the longest walk we had really, really uphill that day, and uh, it's on a Friday, and it's during Lent. Uh-huh. And so we get, all all of us went, we get into this restaurant at the end of the day, and we are absolutely exhausted, and um, nothing sounded better than like a good steak, or just, just, yeah. just some, give me some, some just some good meat or something like that, and, and uh, it's Friday, so okay, we gotta get some fish. One of our girls with us uh, speaks really good Spanish, but she hates, she hates fish, and, and she tells uh, the waiter, in Spanish, like, please, please just give me some, uh, I have to have fish today, but give me something that's safe. I don't want to taste the fish. Whatever your best fish is, please can you give that to me? And they said, we got you, don't worry about it. And they bring out some white baked fish. And when they set it down, it's this, basically a fish with its head cut off. <laughs> and oh. it's like with scales all around it and the inside was cooked, but you can still see the scales. And, oh. and they set it down on her plate and uh, she was, really respectful like she saw the waiter set it down and she kind of just looked at it and waited for him to get away then she got up and walked to the restroom and proceeded to just start crying you know it was, it was too much oh. like she's like she just wanted some oh, some food yeah. and came back out and somebody gave her some rice but 
It was, <laughs> it was funny. We've laughed about I it. I feel for her. We've laughed about it since then. And I felt like a, I felt disgusting because, well, she, she, uh, I'm sitting across from her and then she doesn't know what to do with it. So I was like, well, I'll at least try it. I was pretty nervous too. But when I took a bite of it, it was like, this is actually really good. It, it was mm-hmm. better than I expected. So I had no sense in the moment of, of how, because I just started diving into it and eating all of it, how disgusting that probably was for her to watch me right across from her eat this thing that's about <laughs> to make her throw up, you know? <laughs> but uh, so moments like that, people, we had multiple students, they reached their limit at different times and they're, they're right. breaking down. And, 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 um, and so, yeah, we all had to have each other's backs and, and to get to be there as their priest and kind of help yeah. them through the, the downs, but also the experience like those super highs with them as well and, and laugh right. and pray in front of St. James with them. It was really special. But you had to be going through that too. Sure. Oh, yeah. You know, I, and, and, and getting past yourself to help them. Yeah. I mean, I, we're, yeah, we're absolutely in it together, right? All of us were in yeah. the, yep. And, um, okay. Did you have one, did you have any bad weather or anything? We were pretty lucky. It was, it was uh, 60-ish degrees pretty much all the time. And it was just a matter of whether the sun was out or not. And so um, we got drizzled on quite a bit, but it was never like downpouring rain. And so mm-hmm. um, we would have uh, all of us beforehand prepared to where we had these covers to put on our bags. So your, your belongings didn't get all wet. But it was so the, the drizzle was never like uncomfortable. Just kind of just put up with it. Um, and almost every day for about half a day or so, the sun would come out as well and it would be pretty warm. And so it was never, never uncomfortable weather wise. Shedding clothes, putting things on yeah. constantly. Yep, oh exactly. My gosh. Yep. And then I'm thinking, if you only get to a town at nine o'clock, you're lucky to find a place to stay. Those luckily were booked for us beforehand. Oh, I see. Okay. There are people who do it that way. You know, okay. just with 15 of us and with uh, focus, um, the focus organization has an entire um, branch of people who it's their full time job to help with these these trips. And so they were lucky to have all that, you know, when you travel to have basically like a professional travel agent help you with all those kind of things. And so they they helped us navigate all the flight cancellations. They, they booked all of our albergas ahead of time. So we knew where we were staying, which was, was pretty helpful. Yeah. So we could arrive really, you know, within reason at whatever time we needed to. And so you knew like today's going to or tomorrow's going to be the long day or. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah, we knew. We knew that one day. That, that was our hardest day for sure. Yeah. But, but um, yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> why do people do this? Yeah, good. <laughs> good. I mean, in multiple different reasons, you could say that there's something about, and, and as Catholics, we get this pretty good, but there's something about physical things, you know, that, that, that help us in our prayer. So, we have the sacraments, right? We have, we take ordinary bread and wine, and, and then God takes that and, and turns it into his body and blood. We have water that to symbolize baptism, like we have relics that we, we spend time with and, and, and God can work through and heal through. And mm-hmm. so physical places as well um, have meaning. And so to go to Jerusalem, for example, like where Christ, he's, it's his body still there, no, but, but, but he, he walked there, he, he lived there, um, he ministered there. So there's, there's, there's a value in going to these places where God's work was done. And, and, and likewise, in Rome, you go see, stand in the presence of... We reverence the body. You know, the, the mm-hmm. body is, is given to us by God, body and soul. And so the bones of, of a holy person um, are, are worth being in the presence of. And, and, and mm-hmm. so to go see Peter or Paul, and likewise with James, so it would be the same thing. It's, 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 uh, here's the bones of somebody who walked by Christ. And and um, mm-hmm. and, and there's there's a value in that. And, and, and some would say, like, 
when you when you come into contact with something like that, um, you can almost feel like the distance between heaven and earth is, is like smaller, you know. And I just experienced last summer in a different way in France when we went on that pilgrimage with our with our right. seminarians. Right. I remember leaving um, um, ours, France, where Saint John Vianney did his ministry that last mm-hmm. day there. And it just hit me like this entire time I've been in this town. There's something different about this town than anything I felt anywhere else. And it's not just because St. John Vianney's body is still in there and he's incorrupt. And mm-hmm. I think it's because the years that he did ministry, the, the amount of confessions he heard there, it's almost as if like that's a town that the devil kind of just gave up on and said, you know what, mm-hmm. I, it, this town is like repugnant to me. Like I, I don't want to be in the presence of a place where there's so many conversions, so many holy things have been done. And you can like literally feel the peace in that town. It's like one of the few wow. places on earth where the devil just threw up his hands and said, "I don't want to be a part of this." You know, and he he tried when John Vianney was there. You know, he threw him around, and but eventually, I think he that was at least a thought that came to me. Like this space, this physical space, is holy, and it's worth going to visit for that reason, right? Because mm-hmm. holy things were done here. So you can say the th- same thing about being in the presence of a body that that holy things were done through, and and. Um, and, and along with that, there's, you could say like a pilgrimage is kind of like a, uh, in a sense, you could say like a, a microcosm um, of our of our earthly pilgrimage. You know, we, we'd say our life, oh, yeah. our life here, this is, we're not, we're only on earth for a short amount of time and our mm-hmm. final destination is heaven, you know, and and, um, and so through that life, there's all kinds of ups and downs and, and sacrifices and joys and, and time and prayer until we reach mm-hmm. our final destination. And so... Uh, this holy heavenly destination. So likewise with the pilgrimage, you have a chance to kind of do all those things in, 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 in a short amount of time. You, know, you, you make sacrifices, you have, you have all these joys, you have spiritual highs, and you reach this holy destination in the end. And so it's kind of an opportunity to um, help you reflect on the meaning of your life as well. Wow. Yeah. The other thing is um, I'm thinking you have to take all your stuff on your back, but you also have to take your mass stuff. Yeah, and so so we, that was an interesting part of it. So pretty easy to bring enough hosts, you know, um, and, and you can have like a real small chalice. You can have like a real small little corporal. So you can get the mass kit down real small. Mm-hmm. A Magnificat, you can actually set, celebrate the mass just using a Magnificat. Oh. All the Eucharistic prayers and everything are in uh-huh. there. The difficult thing was wine because they'll only let you take so much wine on a plane and it's got to be like a close. So that we actually ran out of wine at one point, and we had to stop in this little church and, and ask this local priest for, for more wine. And luckily, I mean, he would have no reason to know that I was a, a real Catholic priest. I have papers mm-hmm. with me, but I mean, he, um, luckily he, he believed us, and we had some good Spanish speakers with us, and, mm-hmm. and so he, he happily gave us some more wine. And, and uh, so yeah, there's just there really that didn't add too much more to, to the yeah. backpack. You can you can get it down pretty small. Okay. One really cool thing I'll share on okay, it. Okay, do uh, please. From the uh, and we didn't get to see this, but this is worth people looking up on YouTube or something. Um, so in the church, in, in Santiago that you that you get to, you know at mass when when you have incense, that mm-hmm. the thing is called a, a, a thurible. Mm-hmm. Smoke comes out of it and all that. So the biggest one of those in the entire world is in this church in in Spain. Mm-hmm. And you cannot just have some server walk with it. It's, it's hanging down from the altar. And it's called like the, I'm trying to remember, they got a special name for it. I think I did write it down. Yeah, the Bota Fumero. Um, mm. But it's just a huge thurible, huge incenser. Mm-hmm. It hangs down on its rope right in front of the altar. And on special feast days, 
um, throughout the year. They it takes like eight or so men to come down and pull this rope that gets it swinging back and forth, and it just spreads incense all over this whole place. And 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 uh, so like they have to let it down. Some guy comes over and grabs it, fills it with incense, um, and then gets it all lit and ready to go. Then he pushes it. Then he joins the crew. And you look it up, it's hilarious. These eight guys come down and they start pulling it on this rope. And then like the transepts of the church, you know, so the church is kind of cruciform. It's, you have the nave um, going, we're looking at the altar. Right. So you have pews going all the way back for that. But then on the sides, there's, there's also pews facing the altar. And so this thing swings above that. It kind of swings in the, the arms of the cross, so to speak. Wow. And they, it's so cool. They, they, they pull it, um, and, and it gets all this momentum to the point where it's swinging all the way up to the top of this really high ceiling, just mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth. They told us a funny story a couple hundred years ago, apparently. It, it flew off the rope and went flying out one of the rose windows on, on the side and just flew outside. And oh, wow. So they had to get a new one. And, but um, that's worth checking out. Like I said, unfortunately, when we were there, they did not. Uh, they didn't, they didn't, we asked them. They didn't use it. We were there on a solemnity of St. Joseph. Apparently that wasn't a high enough oh, wow. feast for them, but um, someday it'd be cool to see. But. So this would have been the end of March you were there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So we... Right before Holy Week. Pretty close. Yeah. yeah pretty close. We got back a, a week or two before Holy Week. Yeah. And, yeah. Did it make any difference in you celebrating Holy Week? Uh, definitely. Like, well, you know, like, for example, Garden Gethsemane. Jesus is there with with um, Peter, James, and John. Mm-hmm. So so there's these scenes from Scripture that we know. James, the very the very apostle, we were we were you know whose bones were in front of. Those scenes now just really pop out, you know. So definitely, especially oh, yeah. that Garden of Gethsemane, that's a big yeah. moment where it's like, come on, James, you should have stayed awake, man. Like, yeah. but uh, but no, you felt close to him because uh, you just got in seeing him, and, and and now with the resurrection, with Easter, and everything, you can imagine. You know, when you go spend time with a saint, to some degree, your devotion to him increases. And so now, as you're imagining Christ appearing to the apostles in the upper room, now it's a little bit easier for me to just imagine James specifically. Like, what was James' response, you know? And, and um, mm-hmm. so that's, yeah, that's been cool because you feel like you know him a little better. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and he was one of the three that got, you know, Jesus always called on those three, mm-hmm. like transfiguration exactly. and different things. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was special. That uh, one other cool tie was so that incense that they have there that they put inside of that giant thurible. In the gift shop, you can actually buy some of that. And so uh, I bought quite a bit of it and, and brought it back to the campus center. And we were able to then use the same incense they use in that thing um, during Holy Week at, at the campus center, too. So we'll save that for special occasions. Yeah. Does that smell really good? It smells great. Yeah, it smells <laughs> I great. love incense anyway. <laughs> so. Yeah. So did um, any of the kids run into any hardship? I mean, how about coming yeah. home? I mean, you yeah. had such trouble getting there. Yeah, sure. Coming home was, was actually ended up working out just fine. Um, it was amazing how smooth it was compared to getting there. One crisis that ended up being ended up working good, being kind of funny, when we flew from Frankfurt, Germany, to Madrid, three of our students lost their bags. They lost oh, their bags, no. which is Kind of a big deal because like yeah, it is. everything you have for that entire trip is in there, all your clothes, and, and you need good gear, like good walking shoes, good you know, everything. Every, everything's important so you don't get mm-hmm. blisters and all that. And and um, one of the guys that lost it was a guy we had with us named Jonah Smith. 
He's from Plainville. He's a defensive lineman at Fort Hayes, just a big guy, you know, just a uh-huh. big dude. And uh, this was funny because we uh, we get to Saria, Spain, and he doesn't have his bag, and so he's got to go shopping in Spain. And he's by far bigger than any man we saw in Spain. Like nobody's even close to his size. And so they don't have clothes his size even close in in in, in this little uh, store we're in. So we had to wear like pretty small clothes for the first couple of days walking which was pretty funny. He handled it well. Um, but then they found his bag and they taxied it to us. And we had two other students who were missing their bags too, and they were troopers. We had, we had one, it was kind of a cool story. Part of it was like we had one girl who for a couple of days was kind of struggling walking and then, so her bag was weighing on her. So one of our girls who lost her bag and was you know kind of down about not being able to have her stuff um, was able to then carry that other girl's bag and kind of take, oh, take the weight off her shoulders for a little while. and. Uh, and that helped lift lift her spirits. Like, okay, like God, God is using this um, in some kind of way, you know. And, and uh-huh. uh, so there's all kinds of really cool moments, like meeting that priest that had done the Camino before, you know, that led mm-hmm. the first group. You know, her losing her bag and then being able to help, in a sense, carry her cross. You know, those, those kind of images. And like, there's there's so many different things along the way that there's no question we're, we're providential and hardships, but also unbelievable joys and and uh, humor and and. Um, you know, another huge thing about a pilgrimage is you come back from that and the crew that you're on it with, you're kind of bonded forever. Yeah. Like you, you experience something really, really cool together. Yeah. And, and uh, so yeah. we'll always have that. So, yeah. yeah. So anything planned for the future? Right now we're looking at it. It's not set in stone, but, but uh, you know, I think every, sp- every spring we'll do some kind of a focus, either a mission trip mm-hmm. or a uh, pilgrimage. The plan right now is to go next spring to Ecuador and, and serve the poor in Ecuador. Oh, wow. So we're hoping to take 15 to 20 students or so and, and go down there and help. I think it sounds like you, in the morning, you help build to some degree some things that they need some construction on. And then you um, you have some like spiritual reflections throughout the day and some catechesis. And in the evenings, you go and do like door-to-door ministry and evangelization and, and try to mm. tell people about the Lord. and. So wow. that's the plan right now, tentatively, yeah. for the spring. Well, it sounds like having the Focus missionaries on our campus is really a super good thing. That's very, very good. Very good. We're th- lucky yeah. to have them, thankful to have them. Um, I mean, we've got a good crew. Chuck, I don't know if you've got to meet Chuck yet, but Chuck no, Chuck will be I back haven't. next year as our as our head missionary. And the other three, unfortunately, they're, they're moving on to, to different places, and one of them is getting married, and, and so we're going to have three new missionaries next year. We'll miss those three, but um, three new ones, and Chuck's coming back to lead us. So. Yeah. Yeah, they, they do really good work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that keeps your your ministry grow, going and growing, too. For so, sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you'd like to share? What's going on at TMP? I've been sharing about this trip, you know, at TMP when I've been going over there. So I've showed him, I was able to show him some of the pictures, the picture of that fish that the girl made the girl cry. And, and uh-huh. So it's been fun sharing with them. Um, but they're t- major, major end of the year vibes at, at TMP right now. They're, the seniors are ready to go. doing their best. But I mean, yeah. they're a couple weeks away, so yeah, uh, everybody's hanging in there the best they can. But they're ready for summer. Yeah, definitely. I can yeah. understand that. Can you give us, um, you know, in with a blessing or sure. prayer? Sure. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, we thank you for. Um, all your blessings that you have in store for us. We thank you for our diocese and, and, and the Diocese of Dodge City as well and, and um, all those in the listening area. We thank you for 
uh, KVDM Radio for their ministry and their apostolate. And I ask you to keep sending down your spirit upon them and all, all the listeners who support and, and listen every day. Help us simply, um, those who, who listen to the station, all of us, all of us in our diocese and surrounding areas, to do your will. Help us to be your disciples. And, and like St. James, follow you wherever you call us to go and spend eternity with you in heaven. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you're a business or service that can underwrite this Double-Edged Sword show, please know that your underwriting spot can run three times during the show, which runs five times a week. The cost for all five stations is a mere $250 per month. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to the Network of Stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Mm -hmm.